Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Natural wine is a term that doesn't have a rigid or standard definition. As we learned from our friends in part one of this series, natural wine in its essence is really just about a non-intervening style of winemaking that adds nothing to the fermenting grapes or in the vineyard from which they originate. From this definition, the question many of you have been wondering is, what is added to wine? Isn't it just grapes? Well, let's address that and dive back in to Natural Wines Part 2. as sommeliers and wine nerds and so on kind of began to realize that like, you know, we should ask questions about how things are made. I think the general public has become aware of it at a similar pace, maybe like five years behind me, you know, Mm -hmm. the momentum in terms of the way that like guests and consumers ask about these things and talk about these things has become really powerful. I would say in the last five years. That's Amanda Smeltz. She's the wine director at Estella and Café Ultra Paradiso in New York. She's also a leading protagonist in the natural wine movement. All right, cool. Um, so why don't we just start off? Uh, we have some working understanding of natural wine, but since there is no formal definition, Maybe we could just get a definition from Amanda Smeltz about what you think natural wine is. Sure. I mean, um, there's no, obviously there's no formal board because, you know, it's a term that doesn't belong in the Oxford English Dictionary, but there is, there's a fairly agreed upon working definition among those who work with natural wine or who make it or who are around it a lot. And the idea is, generally speaking, in the vineyards and in the cellars, nothing added, nothing taken away. So when it comes to farming, that means you don't use, and this is probably the most important part, you're not using chemicals in your vineyards. When you're adding anything to vineyard, you know, farming at all, it's it has to be organic compounds, if at all. 
And then when it comes to your cellar work, i.e. actually fermenting and making the wines, you're not adding any chemicals there either or any other host of synthetic additives, colorants, all kinds of different stuff that is that are currently legal to be added to wine in the aim of making kind of the most transparent wines possible. Mm-hmm. And at what point in your career did you notice that natural wine was something that might have been something that was more for people who were in the industry? So your fellow wine nerds and maybe other industry people to something that uh, as a buyer, you started to notice people coming into your establishments and asking you about. The process for me was a gradual one because there, there was not such a clear distinction and not such a clear conversation, at least here in the States, about wines that were maybe made in a different way. The means of production were certainly not the thing that you started talking about first when you were tasting you know, wines with a vendor or when you're listening to an importer talk. Mostly people are trying to you know, sell their wines and their products that they import without kind of any conversation about how things are made. But that has changed a lot, I think, as the conversation about how things are made in terms of food and beverage around the world has changed. Definitely. And that sort of checks out with what we've been hearing from other folks that we've talked to as well. And of course, in my own observations, what it seems like you're kind of making the link here between a group of, let's say, influential um, wine buyers and um, winemakers that really spawn from an environmental concern. Do you think that that's a fair kind of place of origin for the natural wine movement is that it's in relationship to an environmental practice? I think that there are two or three fundamental like like origin concerns or kind of themes that are behind it, but environmental concerns are is definitely ground zero. The only other one that I would say is actual quality of wine. Like people talking about like what does wine taste like? What are global tastes like? What does it mean for there to be a global taste in wine? Because that was a really big issue. It continues to be a huge issue. Most people don't think it's a problem, but ultimately a few people here and there started to pipe up and say, hey, why is it that all of a sudden red wines taste very much the same everywhere from Rioja to Bordeaux to Napa Valley to Bergenland? Like, why is it that I can crack open four red wines from all of those places and everything has the same style and the same cellar work, you know, the same type of production? Once people start to notice that, like, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like you've had the wool pulled over your eyes a little bit where you're like, wait a minute, I've, I've just opened 40 Napa Cabernets and I can barely tell the difference between all of them, you know, to the untrained eye, they all kind of taste the same. Or you could insert category here, you know, Sauvignon Blanc from wherever, what's going on here? And I think that's the second question of origin is why does all this stuff taste the same? Mm-hmm.
so it's it's a question of both quality of wine and character of wine itself in term and like consumption and then obviously environmental concerns which is where does this stuff come from and and how did it get here totally which again just completely checks out with the previous conversation that we had with the winemakers from the other right who both mentioned you know environmental concerns as well as a pursuit of their own artistry Yep. kinds of wines that they wanted to make as part of their own expression as artists, which I found to be compelling as well. So I guess in terms of the discourse that is happening in a more insular community, let's say the wine community, mm-hmm. uh, and specifically the U.S. wine community, you know, we seem to see headlines with greater frequency now about natural wine. And then these articles always kind of pop off in a way that feel oddly emotional uh, yeah. for people who are removed from these communities. So um, <laughs> for for people who are, are far away from the wine industry and we see these really spirited exchanges, like what are we supposed to make of that? And why is it that people feel so strongly about? Okay. Wine? This is such a great question. So I'm going to liken it to a thing first, and then I'll explain in more practical, I think, terms. But the first thing I will liken it to is, you know, when everybody listened to opera in Vienna at the height of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and opera was the form, right? And somebody introduced the first opera in German, you know, like when G- German operas began to be the thing, uh, as opposed to, say, Italian opera or and so on and so forth. I think whenever there's a major shift in a like deeply well-known and well-regarded aesthetic medium, entire cultures are kind of rocked by it, you know, be- especially if the art form or the craft work or whatever it is, the cultural nexus is super important to people if it if it's closely associated like in the case of opera with national identity or cultural identity if it's something that brings people a lot of meaning and a lot of joy and a, and a feeling of importance in their lives um, when there are major paradigm shifts in those things I think it takes on the hue of the personal because it's stuff that's deeply beloved by people <laughs> Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So if you follow Whetstone Media closely, you'll know that there is nothing that I know more about or care more about than wine. In fact, I loved it so much that for an entire decade, it was my job just to drink wine. Like Amanda, I was a sommelier, which is how the French say, trained wine professional. But over time, as I began to rise up through the ranks in my career, I couldn't move beyond the overwhelming lack of diversity in the wine industry. The further along I moved, the bottles and the wine-producing regions I was exposed to were vast and ever-changing, but the people for whom I was opening those bottles were decidedly less so. So I decided to do something radical. In my mid-twenties, I decided that I wanted to connect with the Black and Indigenous communities in the Western Cape of South Africa who were the overwhelming majority of the labor force, but represented less than even a single percent of its ownership. I began to think of wine as a catalyst for social change, for historical and anthropological learning, for identity and origins. And in this work, there was an epiphany. It was that wine did not belong exclusively to the French or the Italians, no matter how hard my formal education tried to convince me. Through working with the families in South Africa's wine industry, I began a process that I would call decolonizing wine. A process that culminated in 2017, where I traveled to the Republic of Georgia, often called the Cradle of Wine, to visit the oldest grapevine in the world that is still being used to produce wine. We're in the village of Chachkardi, and we're gonna go see a very, very old vine. Oh, you see? (laughs) (laughs) 
This is not a tree. So earlier today we saw uh, one-year-old vines, yeah. which were about that big. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 400-year-old vines, the the oldest probably in the world, huh? Yeah. It's the oldest uh, in the world, uh, which is still gives us a grip, and it is still alive. It is four centuries old. This is the most amazing thing I've ever yeah. seen in my life. This is unbelievable. And I, I think wine is in this special, this really special nexus between, like you were just saying, agricultural product and environmental reality and a made thing, right? Human artifact, cultural artifact, and and aesthetic object. It, it's it's not only one of those things, it's it's caught in the crosshairs of both. And so that means people who care about things as diverse as climate change, farming, music, art, mm-hmm. <laughs> cooking, culinary history, uh, you know, I don't know, collecting things, there's like so many different angles through which people might care about wine because of that interesting overlay of, you know, environment and means of production and farming and then aesthetic things that I think this is a truly major paradigm shift in the global culture of wine. And it is having the same sort of impact as something you know, as profound as translating a, an ancient text from Latin into Old English, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it's a stupid thing to compare it to because obviously wine isn't important as those ancient ancient texts. But but speak it for does yourself, occup- excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> or say as opera was to the Viennese, you know, uh-huh. I think that that's what's happening. And and that's that's why people are responding to it with this kind of vehemence because while wine is not art exactly, it does carry some of the hallmarks of art and it definitely is craftsmanship and it's definitely labor and it's definitely farming. So there's lots of entry points through which you could really come to care for this strange living artifact and lots of entry points in which it could come to represent your culture or your history or even just your your sense of art which means that it is weirdly very democratic it mm-hmm. means that lots and lots of, diff- of different people can care about wine from all many many different walks of life as long as you have access to it i think that's why people are heated because mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's it actually does have the power to move it has the capacity to speak to many many different people from lots of different angles. And because it speaks to so many, when there are big challenges or big changes kind of presented to the commonly accepted way of doing things worldwide, we feel the heat a little bit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Congratulations to you. That's officially the best description I've heard of uh, (laughs) this internal ire around natural wine conversations. You know, you've given me a lot to think about because now I'm thinking about wine in a democratic sense, which of course makes me think about our own political system here and the challenges that Democratic Party has as a party of big tents and a wide variety of ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, On the one hand, it's very easy for people to find themselves in these broad politics. But on the other hand, when it comes to, say, electing 
a <laughs> candidate suitable totally around you know totally. it's much more difficult because the reasons that we've shown up to support or the the areas in which we see ourselves reflected of course are are varied and that makes it hard yeah that makes it really challenging <laughs> so um i think it's exactly the right analogy and, and helps me understand is there a, a social capital or is there kind of an idealism in people coming to this wine tent who never found a relationship to wine before is there some cachet and people saying like i'm into natural wine and therefore like i'm part of this movement now well, I wish I wish that my answer were no, <laughs> mm-hmm. but my answer is yeah, for sure. It's hip. It's become hip. But I, I think we should push at and poke at why it's become hip, right? It's because of what you say. You say, okay, at least on the surface, natural wine seems to present this thing that is more democratic. It's not just superficial. It arises up out of, you know, a handful of people, France, you know, California, you know, lots of Australia, like lots of different places being like, I don't want my wines to taste like everybody else's wines anymore. Like there's something really unnerving there. And, and if you don't know any better, you just keep drinking them, like whatever, it's no big deal. But the moment that someone presents one of these wines to you and you go, holy crap, that tastes so different from anything else I've ever seen. What's going on here? Is it wrong? Is this like, you know, and I, I watch that happen literally every day at my job. Like all the time people are like, Ooh, I don't know. This wine is so different. Is it, is it bad? I think it's bad. You know? So when you, when you have that much of like a jarring kind of encounter with something that you can smell and you can taste and you can feel in your body, Okay, so now you're like, whoa, I'm awake. What was going on before? And the answers that are behind what was going on before are not cute. Mm-hmm. They're just dis- they're disconcerting. Mm-hmm. And when you start to get a little bit of of an understanding on what has happened, i.e., like the mass industrialization of wine across the globe, you that you start to think like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really. I don't love that. course not the same as the conventional wines which were made to taste like the other perhaps they were made to taste like wines that had performed well in the media Mm -hmm. if we don't know anything about natural wine and we've only been drinking nine dollar malbec from anywhere from australia or to argentina what is the experience that we can expect as a consumer as a drinker when we are drinking natural wines versus uh, wines that don't share that label? Well, it depends a little bit, again, on the means of production, because under the wide umbrella of natural wine, they really can taste quite, quite different. And I think, to me, fundamental thing that you should expect first is that everything you've ever tasted in wine before that is going to change. (laughs) So like the first thing you can expect is difference. And I think that is that's crucial right because it it means that you are reintroduced to your own senses and and you hear them say this is different from my previous sense memories now that can those wines can be maybe not so perceptibly different from a conventional wine because maybe 
they were, you know, put in used oak barrels and maybe there's a little bit of a sulfur dioxide application and maybe there's a slightly more ripe fruited style and they're a little bit more polished. And so maybe to the uninitiated, they won't be that clear right away. But there are some where maybe because of the means of production, again, what happens in the cellar and the lack of preservatives added, sometimes these things can smell and taste really wild. And so the way that I translate wild is, you know, often people will smell them and be like, woo, kind of sour. People will struggle for words to describe it. Other times it's like, wow, really heady. Like, because the aromas can be explosive. Mm -hmm. Like the, like the actual bouquet of wine can become the type of thing that I will often say like jumps out of the glass and you barely need to put your nose near the glass to smell it and sense it because it's aromatically so supercharged. So the range of experiences can be kind of different, but I mean, actually quite broad, but as a first principle, everyone should be prepared to smell and taste something that is unlike anything they understand as wine before. That makes sense because in people reflecting back to you, these potentially unusual smells, which are reflective of nature, you know, something soured, something yeasty, something funky, something dank. These are all characteristics, presumably that the winemakers themselves are, are trying to bring forth and, and present. Right. So um, in the transparency that you're alluding to part of what the offering is in the transparency is the expression of the wine without the manipulation of, you know, some of these other chemical inputs or even winemaking inputs uh, so that people can, you know, experience the full breadth of whatever the, the land has to say. You know, <laughs> one of the things that you have, you have to know about, kind of conventional winemaking or more industrial winemaking is that I alluded to it earlier, but many, 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 many forms of additives are legal, both in the United States and in the EU and kind of all over the world, depending on, you know, country to country. And some of those additives essentially have an origin that are from either animal material or protein material, like you know, eggs and egg derivatives are really common. They're used as clarifying agents, you know, just the same way that like, if you're not specific in a restaurant, you may be surprised to find that there is, say, for example, gelatin used as a stabilizer or as a textural thing. And the gelatin is, you know, animal derived as opposed to, or, or when you're thinking about cheese and say you're a vegetarian and you're, you know, you find out that like, okay, animal run it, you know, it's the same thing with winemaking. And again, like this is about shining a light on the way things are made. I, I mean, I know I see a lot of, I see a lot of like media articles and so on that are clickbaity these days that are like, ah, oh, the death of the term natural. And can we stop using this word? And can, you know, I don't know. Uh, Wittgenstein said all of our problems come down to problems of language. Right. And so it's just talking about wine at all is a challenge. And I can tell you that from having to do it every day, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, trying to find language that, that approximates what two different people mean when they're attempting to relate sense experience with this, you know, aesthetic and uh, agricultural object before them being smelled and tasted and consumed by them, adding in the subjectivity of the human experience and the difficulty of 
you know, coming to agreed upon language, we have to do the best we can, right, to understand each other. <laughs> so if we're trying to describe an entire paradigm shift in how people attend to their vineyards, how they harvest their fruit, how they ferment that fruit, how they usher that fruit into a completed state, bottle it and send it off to people to be consumed. And it's very, very different from industrial and, you know, slightly more conventional methods. What then are we to say, right? That just took me like 15 words to try to describe to you all the steps in the process. We have to find some kind of signifier that enables us to continue having the conversation. I think the reason that people are all up in arms about it is that there's this, you know, sort of ridiculous thing where people are like, well, you know, what what wine is unnatural? And it's just like, well, now we're playing semantics, right? And and we're not actually pointing at the the root issues, which is, which are farming and the finished product. And like, how much are we asking questions about where do things come from? What is the origin of my drink? When we're obsessive about definition and we're obsessive about that to me is the is the bigger picture question and the rest of it is sort of I don't know, squabbling over the crumbs, you know? Yeah. You know, categorizing instead of being interested in descriptive and qualitative understandings of things, right? This is us getting caught up in, you know, in labeling. And I would love to recenter questions about means of production <laughs> and back on everybody's mind and on everybody's lips because there are really ser serious questions attended about like health, beauty, and yeah, justice too, not to mention economics and power, you know? So I'm totally fine with the term if it gets me talking about those things with people, you know? <laughs> Touche. I know. I, I love, um, I'm starting to develop uh, a newfound affinity for this phrase natural wine for all the reasons in which it has been a, a conundrum in trying to explain or describe i think that's yeah. actually kind of the magic of the term especially if we were to extrapolate you know this like democratic analogy and i think one of the the stifling elements could be trying to appease so many different factions Yes, um, and I, totally. I think that we actually could see a lot of how that can go wrong uh, mm -hmm. with organic uh, as a label mm -hmm. um, in which the certification to get the label is inherently excluding people who otherwise tons of farmers. Yeah. Sound tons of farmers practices. Right. Yeah. So yep. in a way, you know, organic is able to be co-opt and in a weird way, a less effective or a less exhaustive, you know, word rubric yeah, yeah. to describe uh, who is actually uh, acting in the most uh, environmentally progressive or responsible way with natural wine and saying that we have a roughly agreed upon term that is about nothing added and nothing taken away. You keep alluding to it as a signifier which, mm -hmm. I, which I think is actually a lot more closely aligned with the way that human beings are able to understand social cues and able mm -hmm. to, to understand, um, mm -hmm. 
you know, big ideas that totally. we, we understand totally. perfectly well are not absolutes. Human beings are, are intellectually mature for the most part enough to understand that nothing is purely absolute or few things are. And so when we talk about things as less absolute than, say, organic, it actually opens up a space for us to to go deeper because yeah. it doesn't leave people out. It's less yep. exclusive because it can't be co-opted because there's no formal language for it. It's just a signifier. This Okay, so this is exactly why I actually, I kind of love the term. I, I, I love it because some people will be like, whoa, it's a slippery slope and, you know, big businesses can co-opt this idea of natural and and you see it now. You see like big grocery stores abroad and elsewhere trying to like, make their weird natural wine and they're just, you know, they're, they, you know, there's, a, there's like co-opting that is always every subculture, every subculture tries to get co-opted or like is, you know, there's an attempt toward that kind of at any point. Right. But I kind of love that it is slippery. It's it, that's literally all that's happening here as opposed to understanding practice, mm-hmm. you know, and as opposed to getting a, a, a deeply narrative and a deeply qualitative and an experiential understanding of things which require time and effort and dialogue and study Mm -hmm. you know all of that stuff is hard and everyone wants to just be able to be like well this bogus because you know the terminology doesn't make any sense and who knows what they're talking about at all like that's that's such a quick way to be intellectually superior because you feel as though the definitions are not clear enough Right. I love that this pushes back against that a little bit. Yeah, you know? totally. It's really more like, are you trying to be correct or are you trying to be understood? Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you just want to be the smartest guy in the room? Because wine is a really sensitive place for that button to get pushed as well. You know, given that wine has been traditionally and especially it's especially bad in the States associated with having some level of kind of sophistication and therefore it is elitist. Because of those associations, people really want to define wine in this way that makes them feel like they have mastery of it and they have knowledge of it. And that's that's the social capital they're looking for. But like wine eludes these things. The practice of fermentation eludes these things. Wine, when it is living and when it hasn't been stultified by industrial process, it is it's alive in the bottle, it's alive in the barrel, it's alive in the tank, and it changes. It's a moving target, right? Whether you whether you're in your first 15 minutes of a bottle or you're two hours in, if that wine is sound you're going to be experiencing something different kind of at every moment. So what does it taste like? I'm like, I don't know, Mark 15 minutes mm-hmm. or like Mark three hours. You know, what did it taste like yesterday? What's it taste like today? Same object, right? But time and change and feeling have altered the experience of the thing. That's experiential understanding versus definition, right? And categorizing. And I don't know, maybe that's why I fell in love with wine because it is elusive mm-hmm. in that way. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu Okay, so now that we've engaged in some wine philosophy, let's talk about the thing that's probably more important than any other, which is how to drink. So when you're tasting wine, the first thing you'll want to do is look at the wine. No, really, I mean, like, look at the wine. See what it looks like. Is it shiny and golden around the rim? Is it pale and brickish in the center core? Transparent or opaque? Not that what you see is always what you get with wine, but what looking at it does is it forces you to pay attention. And since wine is a multi-sensory indulgence, Paying attention will be your greatest resource for enjoyment. The next thing to do is to smell. And when I'm smelling wine, I have this two-step approach. First, I take a whiff. Not a huge one, just like a grazing one. And this is a habit I developed from my sommelier days, where I would smell hundreds of wines each night, primarily just to make sure that they were okay. If it's not okay, What's most often the case is that it smells a little bit like wet, moldy cork. If detected, it is this pungent and unpleasant smell. When you go to a restaurant and you order wine, have you ever noticed how they first give you like a little teeny taste? Well, this is your window to detect a flaw. If you're unsure, don't be afraid. Ask if there's someone there to validate your suspicions. Almost always, even if it's on the edge, 
the house will do the right thing and get you sorted with a new glass. Okay, so then after that initial grazing whiff, I pick up my glass and I give it a big swirl. You know what I'm talking about. The thing where people who seem like they know a thing or two about wine are always doing. Well, what they're actually doing is bringing oxygen into the glass. And it's this invitation of oxygen that really allows us to smell the true character of the wine. After you give it a whirl, give it a world. But a sort of disclaimer is that when I taste, I am ashamed to say that I do the thing where I make the slurping noise. I mean, I'm not obnoxious about it. I take a small sip and with the tip of my tongue on the roof of my mouth, I bring in the air, sort of like an inverted whistle. The wine moves along my mouth, along my palate, and then right before swallowing, I give a good swish. Kind of, but not exactly like a mouthwash. The part that comes next is my favorite part. It might last a second or several minutes, but it's the finish or the contemplative moment just after the wine goes down and the brain begins to make sense of what it just had and how all the parts fit or don't fit together. But of course, you could also just like, you know, drink the wine. Pay attention to what you like or dislike. Try to find the language from a dialogue with the bartender or the internet to synthesize whatever you just tasted. This level of engagement will help you better enjoy wine because after all, drinking wine, enjoyment is always the desired outcome. So if you've made it this far, then it is without a doubt clear that wine is really special to me. And this two-part series is really special to me. So thank you for listening. I hope you've gained a deeper understanding and appreciation of natural wine and understand why it's been at the center of a discussion and a larger cultural conversation about the things we eat and drink, how they're made and where they come from. I hope that if you have the opportunity to try natural wine, that you do so. And you can check out our website if you'd like to see some of our favorite wines from many diverse winemakers who we would love for you to support and are sure that you will enjoy. Thank you, Amanda Smeltz, wine director at Estella and Vino Paradiso in New York. And to write out, we'll play another clip from Wild Grapes, a short film I shot with my dear friend and brother, who is also a partner at Whetstone, David Alexander, from our 2018 release of Wild Grapes. What I came to understand is that this day was not a day of remembrance, rather a revival of spirit. Wine is central to Georgian culture, and once again, I'm taken by the earnestness with which it permeates daily life without pretension. This ceremonial but informal inclusion affirms my own mission to demystify wine, to shed it of its formality, and in doing so, share the gift of a new tongue, a language that, once learned, deepens our capacity for pleasure and connects us to a collective human history.
Special thanks to my business partner who makes all things possible at Whetstone, our co-founder, Melissa Shi. Thanks, Mel. Thank you to Celine Glager, who is our lead producer, to Kat Hong, our editor, to Haven Obasalase, and Quentin LeBeau, our production interns. To our friends at iHeartRadio for helping us bring you this podcast, to Gabrielle Collins, our supervising producer, engineer J.J. Pausway, and executive producer Christopher Hasiotis. I'm your host, The Origin Forager, Stephen Satterfield, and we will be back here next week with more from Whetstone Magazine's Point of Origin podcast. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.